Hello there and welcome. I'm Cleanan Ianlone, producer of the RTE Radio 1 Davis Now Lectures. The Pleasures of Gaelic Literature was a series of Thomas Davis lectures first broadcast on RTE Radio in 1975-76. It features writers on writers in the Irish language to which they are drawn. Connemara writer Martin O'Kine was the choice of Brandon O'Heher. O'Kine, a short story writer, critic, language activist and professor of Irish at Trinity College Dublin, is probably best known for his third book, the novel Crane Killer, published in 1949, having been first serialised to great stir in the Irish press. This classic novel, set in a graveyard, its occupants tormented by the slow passing of time and their longing for gossip and action from above ground. Translations of Crane Killer into English by Tim Robinson and Liam McAnomara under the name of Graveyard Clay, and by Alan Titley under the name The Dirty Clay, are now available, as well as Crane Killer in its original Irish. Brendan O'Heher was also a Galway writer, from Inishmore on the Aran Islands, a well-known RT broadcaster and journalist with a regular column in the Irish Times. His best-selling novel, Ligshinagahu, was the first hardback in Irish to reach the top ten when published in 1976, and later translated into English by himself as Lead Us Into Temptation. His other popular books include Over the Bar on the GAA and the self-explanatory The Begrudger's Guide to Irish Politics. Here is Brendan O'Hare on Martin O'Kine with short readings from the book read by the aforementioned Liam McAnomara. Cain Achille, Martin O'Kine's third book and first novel, was published in 1949 and was serialised over a seven-month period that same year in the Irish press. At the time, I was a first-year student in University College Galway, and I remember how the press passed from hand to hand and from digs to digs on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. It caused a stir in Galway, and I don't say that with hindsight. To see students who wouldn't buy a paper if they could have the racing page for nothing, pay their own money for an Irish book was enough to make the most unliterary think. But its effect was as much psychological as practical. In those lean years after the war, those who were cultivating an emerging literature in Irish needed to have something firmly and publicly placed at the top of the First Division. Irish revivalists needed something to boast about and raise their flagging spirits. Young Gaeltacht people like myself, who had long tired of Untachberg and Askelin the sexless noble and the gormless taig, could hardly believe our eyes when we read in the pages of this whirlwind of a book that the man with the dole form to fill, coming silently to the school after three o'clock, saw on Moshter Moore having it off with his assistant in the classroom. This and much more in a new and powerful form of Kainzanine. But while most of the well-known reviewers agreed that this was a considerable and unusual book written by a considerable writer, there was the odd exception. One of these inspired my first letter of protest to a paper, an angry retort to a rather silly review in the local periodical Edei. Among other things, the reviewer said, sadly and accusingly, Ni ernos kreine kille, a rahe yon piersoch na achorde, gaelgerine gaeltochte, ni a kasse mielo na schnale hele a gersheyet. And a year after the publication of kreine kille, Martin O'Kane was deemed unfit to speak to Uncommon Eichse Agus Shanachish in UCG during the annual Irish Week, the decision by the authority concerned having much more to do with politics than with writing although we didn't realise that at the time. Writing about reactions to the book many years later, 
O'Kine said that adverse criticism was strongest among certain types of Gaeltacht people, those who, when they emigrate to America, claim that their people at home in Ireland own castles. But compared to the lambasting poor Pierscott for the explosive opening of Shanwatu, opposition to Cain Achille was very slight indeed. In 1952, I had left UCG, had met Martin O'Kine in Dublin and in Connemara, and had become an itinerant salesman of Irish books. For a year and a half, I travelled the roads of Ireland with a van load of them in search of customers. And during this time, it came as a shock to me to find that not everyone who was willing to accept Cain Achille as a great book had actually read it through. Indeed, very many people would say, well, you know, it is much too difficult for me. I mean to say, I met a man from O'Kine's own parish at the Congress last Easter and he said that half the words were made up and didn't exist in speech at all. Thus is folklore created under our very noses. Others admitted without any reluctance that they struggled through getting about 50% or less. Others said they gave up early on in despair. I was shocked because I had read the book aloud to old people at home, some of whom could not read Irish themselves, and was much gratified by their reactions and by the way pet phrases and imprecations passed into speech. But by now the scales were falling rapidly from my eyes. Day after day, as I displayed my wares in secondary schools all over the country, I met Irish teachers who could not converse for more than the ritual couple nomad. And I had to ask myself the hard question. In the name of God, what is the ordinary product of this terrible system going to make of the opening sentence of Kena Kille? Ni me on I wonder, am I buried in the pound plots or the fifteen shilling plots? And when I asked, I found that many a willing seafarer got stuck on this opening reef, never to sail further. Some years ago, a critic wrote that Martino Kine suffered the worst fate that could befall a writer, that he was overpraised by people who hadn't read him. I doubt the accuracy of this assertion, despite the aggressiveness of some Irish revivalists in their constant search for Mór Scrivnior Elle, another major writer. I would agree, though, that O'Kine has been criticised unjustly by critics who didn't fully understand what he was saying or trying to say. I would also agree that O'Kine has suffered from a surfeit of lit crit at its stultifying worst and not enough of light-shedding and explanatory criticism which he needed every bit as much as Joyce needed it. The sole purpose of this talk is to cast some light on some aspects of this great book, to guide some willing seafarers past that first reef and into open sea. For apart from any other virtue, Cana Kille is a great comic work and by far and away the funniest work in modern Irish, as Ciarán Anúlán pointed out when it was published. Apart from Evelyn Waugh and Jaroslav Hasek, no author makes me laugh as heartily and as regularly as Martin O'Kine in Cana Kille. Cana Kille is a small graveyard in Cresharaga and the characters are a motley collection of locals, living as well as dead, who lived and died in a variety of ways. There are also a couple of strays, like the French pilot, whose plane was shot down off the coast, and a woman from East Galway, who moans longingly from time to time for the lush plains where she wished to be buried. The action, which is all verbal of course, takes place towards the end of the last war, and is helped along 
by the regular arrival of fresh corpses bringing fresh news of the world above. There are many characters, major and minor, who can be identified by recurring peculiarities of speech or other internal evidence. This sounds more difficult and more confusing than it is because O'Kine defines his most minor character so clearly that they are all clearly identifiable after one reading. Let me stress, however, that a second or even a third reading may be necessary for full comprehension and enjoyment. As Martin O'Kine pointed out, Irish is one of the most difficult of European languages to master. He also said that he never made any conscious concessions to his readers, but that he had readers. The whole concept of the book was novel at the time and indeed still is. There was much searching for literary antecedents. Some said he got the idea from the Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters. Others mentioned a little-known tale by Fyder Dostoevsky. In a lecture given to Come on Merriman in 1969 and since published under the title Paper Wana Agus Paper Vraka, Martin himself had this to say. So now I'm going to ask you to give me the best of all in Givrishin. For Ben Khursum Lombas and Macher Yerogidavon and Nolok. We deal with Washington and his black night of Rihe. So we know that the new one is going to Gartmudra <laughs> Ulisagi Karagamu Tailti Sidi in Nuasa Durche Erune Idurumishim Mikil Ruid O Durtianale O Wogudio Nahana Vesa Grammar. There is great grammar indeed in Kleina Kille, and Katrina Fadin is at the centre of it. A seventy one year old widow who has died twenty years before her time, as she constantly tells everyone who cares to listen. She is a woman consumed by a deep and deadly hatred for her sister Nell. She carries this to the grave, and all her thoughts and her numerous arguments with her companions are coloured by it. In her opening words, she wonders whether or not her son Parik obeyed her last request to be buried in one of the pound plots. When she finds out that he has buried her in a fifteen-shilling plot, she rails not at him, but at Nell, who has surely thwarted her once more. Early in the book, we are told of the root cause of this bitterness. Katrina Fadin was in love with one Jack Naskoloige, who had a beautiful singing voice. Her sister Nell stole him away from her, and, as it later transpires, from all the other girls in the district. But, to make matters worse, Nell is not satisfied with a silent triumph. On the year force Nell, she the Hans Ota Jack Amsidershi and Smutin, Falcon would be on more at Sahatrina. Because at the word, Gormu, Hailida, Colchinorum, Nanyana, she gagorum frehele. Vin Hanchin Maravak Pla as Ogion, Edrana, Seregushir, Rimuintin, Augustalus, Mogulini Vestapain. New League Mass Machan Golama washer, New League you would add. Gahuid Ravakin be on more, Hinin Yerinishin. Er det sjumre som er det, 
er det gar vage vi er nel i nacht Jackne skal lage. Gach vår gav vekken makna og nyle brian mor, kjimnin er det nyhysjen. Gach vår gav draktakt den er brian mor, kjimnin er det. Er det sjumre, er det gar, er nel i nacht Jackne skal lage. I nacht Jackne skal lage. Although we only meet him at one remove, Brian Moore is one of the most vivid characters in the book. He was always my own favourite because he reminded me so much of an old man I knew at home. At the end of the book, he is still overground in spite of his great age, but is ailing. The very last corpse to arrive in Kille carries a series of the most ribald messages from Brian Moore, telling all and sundry what to expect from him when he arrives among them. This, however, is how Katrina Fodin saw him when he came to ask for her hand in marriage. Ni fosene derimshe rama kharam yesakhta talala onel agus shasar khlarana yana tige dermaher on skola khan grana derimshe fekhan megal fesogitair fekhan starogi fekhan khikhronil fekhan khamrelik fekhan frakhogin halakha hakhataige fekhan khart vrakumushitair tamoji ishege Another fascinating character is Unmoshtir Moor, who dominates large areas of the book. He marries his assistant, but soon after falls ill and dies. O'Kain clearly portrays him as a non-Gaeltacht man who learnt Irish perfectly, but who speaks in a rather literary way and is inclined to carry his learning heavily. Shortly after his death, a new arrival in Ktena Kille tells him, after a hundred ifs and buts and tangents, that his widow has been consoled by the postman, the smooth-talking Billichian Foster. Then he hears that he, they have married, and shortly afterwards that Billichi is now ailing and very likely at death's door. This news inspires Anmoshti to scale new peaks of invective and vituperation. This passage, in my own humble opinion, should be a permanent fixture on the Leaving Cert Irish course. Why, Father Gunfield said, Shachnaki Jago was fishing a hard kid. Kalka Fidonigus Tapunid. Come religious galitras ned. On Cassnayanid. On we Hunnelid. Plaw Lazarus said. Egg not jobbed. Color no mukhead. Sneemed Bundunid. Galra Trua, Bisbrun, Pearsley, Shuran, Mihonigus Magagagagid. Glugur chwilon i awltoed on. Galri sianis yn y cael i beryd. Dalag yn ein leisid agos dalas i'n yn y ysyn. Tochus wantrwch dyn oed. Ond galar glwn i'n ochyd. Darag y tiri ed. Gaid drank y diod. Ond Moshtyr Mawr and Katrina Fodin take central places in Crena Cille because their preoccupation with family affairs on earth is greater than in the case of others whose questions to new arrivals are repetitious, like the man who keeps on insisting that Galway won the All-Ireland in 1941. Katrina keeps on hoping for bad news of her sister Nell, and Moshtir Moor awaiting the arrival of Billachan Foster. Katrina Fodin's hopes are alternately raised and dashed, and she is also given totally inaccurate information by malicious arrivals who are well aware of her passion. In the end, Jack Naskologi arrives, and although he refuses Katrina's request for a song, she is moved to genuine happiness for the first time when she hears that Nell has had a Jack Naskologi and herself 
prayed for simultaneously from the altar. This good news is brought by Billichian Foster, who manages to placate almost everybody with an amazing display of verbal dexterity. For instance, he assures the man who is convinced that Hitler must have invaded and subdued England that this is not the case, that in fact England and America have invaded France. But of course the war is far from over and anything could yet happen. Unfortunately for Billy, his widow has buried him alongside her first love and Moshtir Moor. As Billy puts it in the course of one venomous assault, here we are comrade, like two dogs whose tails have been knotted together. They are still hard at it in the end, as indeed are Katrina Fodin and her son's mother-in-law, Nora Hyonin, or Nora Nagasalofa, as Katrina usually calls her. Before making any general comments on Kleine Kille, I would like to stress a point made earlier about its comic power. This could be illustrated in many ways, and I choose two extracts for my purpose. The first concerns a man called Pole and a civil servant from Dublin known as Ungailgjord Moor. In passing, I would like to point out that in the west of Ireland, the adjective Moor does not necessarily mean big in stature or importance, but very often to a ridiculous or silly vanity on the part of the person referred to. However, Paul is teaching Ungailgjord Moor Irish for a fee of a pint a word. It is broken summer weather, and there is hay to be saved. Mishu tort fakulari bintugun gailgjord mor, agus eshina tort pintari wakal gumsa. Serigus in eridish larna vardach. Antri ula hukshan motorfina hun. Vin tashtir serigus in eridar darshu. Fol hri, derma wahilum hainu trononashin. Bukhart kamakirach twatrum madevair faste. Ari kaintrumoha wahiru derimshe. Ni faded a fair living of shudishimu. Wan me fair kalochi, ranach, a gustrishachi, runimatochid. Hamud Baudal miser, fads and ari, Akamir would say the gus and nails a moat, or good tea fadded a noster. Niakame, nerdy of a borriola noe. August Nichal no, revered a headed. Hogersha, o score, goody, devocally hit gail gilla law. Vidal ladigidege, postard of in government. Vian Hahana Yam. Shacht and Tresto Emmert, Bolo Shislechinis Mawashme. Ach wash just a foster. Hora wash just a foster. Can't hear how sats and I dig shall ostein. Does Kultun Yachirahid Mawahis was in a year good in government? Comment is scarcely necessary on the various aspects of Irish rural life and manners touched on in that short passage. The second extract deals with stomachs in another way. One of the characters tells of going into hospital in Galway for a stomach operation. He becomes friendly with a man from Menlo, who is having a similar operation. They are both operated on during one morning session and soon are back on their feet again. Both men correspond after going home and find that extraordinary things have happened to their tastes and food. 
The Menlo man could no longer eat his favourite dish, bacon, cabbage and potatoes, but the Kasharaga man, who had no appetite for such things previously, demanded them three times a day. Then another Gaelgur came the way, a medical student, and cast light on the matter. The Kasharaga man tells... O'Kain in Paperwana Agus Paper Raka advised writers in Irish to have Dinin's dictionary constantly by their side. I would now like to advise listeners to have Kena Kille and Dinin constantly by their side. For Krenakilla has the great advantage of being both continuous and episodic. And don't be put off by the ornate passages where Stoknakilla provides rather purple punctuation marks. It is, as Mr Crofton said in Joyce's Ivy Day in the Committee Room, a very fine piece of writing, but has little to do with the main narrative, and readers should not be intimidated by it. A lot remains to be said, but it will have to wait until some scholar does a proper critical study, one that illuminates and explains, and above all, that doesn't take too much for granted. Such a work would do a far greater service to O'Kine and to the Irish language than using him as a propagandising stick to batter foolish and useless people who are supposed to be enemies of the language. Such are the pitfalls of Unhoosh, the cause. And as time runs out, I realise that I haven't succeeded in reaching my appointed goal. Maybe that was impossible anyway. But I do hope I have succeeded in making some of you at least curious. I read Klenakilla from cover to cover at least once a year, and I dip into it constantly. And I can assure you that it improves with age and with growing knowledge. I have a feeling that it was O'Kine's favourite among his own works too. In a contribution to a symposium on literature in the Celtic countries in Cardiff in 1969, he told of coming into the Hogan stand on All-Ireland Day as the teams waited for the parade. In passing, a man whom I did not know said in the Queen's English and pointing his finger at me, there goes Crean Achille. In pre-television days, few writers of English, if any, would have been so recognised. The man said it as if he had a claim on me, as if he felt I was one of his own, one he could kick about as the burly Kerry fullback was kicking the football about at the same moment. And of course I was. Whether he spoke Irish or not, he felt I belonged to him in a special way, one who was beyond yea or nay his own. This is worth more than all the money and all the sales in the world. It is recognition. The writer in Irish, whether good, bad or indifferent, is writing for his own people and only for his own people. O'Kine repeated that story many times, publicly and privately, and the words, There goes Clena Kille, obviously meant a great deal to him. And why not indeed? Had he never written another line, his reputation would be secure. 
but we will let O'Kane have the last words for the symposium I referred to just now. In dealing with Irish, I feel I am as old as Newgrange, the old hag of bear, the great elk. In my eyes, in my ears, in my head, in my dreams, I carry around two thousand years of that dirty old sow which is Ireland. It is my turn now to quote, and for a change of smell, a poet of minor speech also, Hugh MacDiarmid. The rose of the world is not for me. I want for my part only the little white rose of Scotland that smells sharp and sweet and breaks the heart. It is said that modern Russian literature sprang out of Gogol's cloak. I have a feeling that in time, the weak and struggling plant that is contemporary writing in the Irish language will be seen to have had its roots in Kreina Kille. That was Brendan O'Hare and his talk on Martin O'Kine from the 1975-76 RTE Radio Thomas Davis Lecture Series The Pleasures of Gaelic Literature. The series editor was poet and critic John Jordan, who also edited a book of the lectures published by the Mercia Press. Its producer was Kathleen Kelleher. Go to the Davis Now Lectures website for more information on rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash Davis Now Lectures and find further Davis Lectures where you get your podcasts. From me, producer Cleon and Ian Lund, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.